Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why Reluctantly Codependent Sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Hello everyone, I'm your host Tanner, and this is the Monster Legends Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about the monsters of Colorado. But first things first, let's talk about the state. And this article I'm reading from is from history.com, and it's published on November 9th, 2009, but updated on October 21st, 2018. Colorado which joined the Union as the 38th state in 1876 is America's 8th largest state in terms of land mass. Located in the Rocky Mountains regions of the western United States, the state's abundant and varied natural resources attracted the ancient Pueblo peoples and later the Plains Indians. First restored by Europeans in the late 1500s, the Spanish referred to the region as Colorado for its red-colored earth. The area was ceded to the United States in 1848 with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo that ended the Mexican-American War, which lasted between 1846 and 48. Uh, in 1858, scurvy of gold in Colorado affected new settlers. During the Plains Indian War, which was between 1860s and 1880s, Colorado's wild frontier was a scene of intense fighting between Native Americans and white settlers. In the 21st century, Colorado continued to rely on its natural resources as well as agriculture and tourism to sustain its economy. Did you know, in 1972, Colorado rejected the International Olympic Committee's invitation to serve as host for the 1976 Winter Olympic Games because its voters opposed the use of state tax revenue to finance the games. It is the only state ever to reject an Olympic invitation to host the event. The capital of Colorado is Denver. It has a population of 5,029,196 according to a 2010 census. The size of Colorado is 104,094 square miles. Uh, the names for Colorado are Sentinel State and Colorful Colorado. The state motto is Mil Sin Numan, which means nothing without the deity. The state tree is the Colorado Blue Spurs. The state flower is the White and Lavender Columbine. And the state bird is the Lark Bunting. Listering Facts of Colorado. Mesa Verde National Park contains more than three, more than 4,000 agricultural sites, including around 600 cliff dwellings from the ancestral Puebloans who inhabit the area from about 
1350 to 1300. By the late 13th century, they began to migrate south to New Mexico and Arizona, where they are continuing to live today. Discovered by Lieutenant Zebulon Pike in 1806 during an expedition to turn the southwestern boundary of the Louisiana Purchase, Pike's Peak becomes a landmark to the thousands of fortune hunters who traveled west with the storage with the slogan, Pike's Peak or Bus, on their wagons after gold was founded in the area in 1858. On November 29, 1864, more than 100 peaceful Cheyenne and Arapaho Indians, believing themselves to be under the protection of the U.S. government, were slaughtered by close to 700 Colorado volunteer soldiers under command of Colonel John Shivington. The atrocity devastated the tri tribes and served as a catalyst for years of subsequent warfare between Native American Indians and the U.S. Army. The lyrics to America the Beautiful were written by Catherine Lee Bates after an awe-inspiring trip to the top of Pikes Peak in 1893. Although it is now commonly sung to the tune Matanera, Matanera? I don't know. Composed by Samuel Ward in 1882, the patriotic poem was often sung to all land scene in the early 20th century. Colorado Rockies are part of the North American cordilleras, which lead the western part of the continent all the way from Alaska to northern Mexico. With 58 named peaks over 14,000 feet in average altitude altitude of 6,800 feet. Colorado has the highest elevation of all states. If you want to submit your stories or keep updated on upcoming episodes, join the Monster Legends Podcast Facebook group or follow on Twitter at Monster Legends P. Also, if you want to use your email, you may send it to monsterlegendspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, hello. I'll, I'll take a little break. I'll go, I just want to let you guys know that you can find the Monster Legends Podcast on several platforms, including Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Procast, and Radio Public. So if you're uh, not sure what you're going to get, just getting a those would be great. Or not sure where to find it, that's where you can find them. Thank you. And take a breath. Whew, what's going on, guys? I'll bring up the next article. Man, so much turkey today, this week. Let's tell stories. Some creepy stories from on uh, 10 Chilling Stories and Urban Legends that prove called out. Colorado is the creepiest state by Linda Radford. While there are creepy urban legends all over the world, Colorado's ghost stories and myths hold a legendary status. Thanks to Stephen King, the Sentinel State is home to the Stanley Motel where King stayed in a room 217 and saw an apparition that served as the inspiration for his book, The Shining. Colorado also harbors legends about skinwalkers, phantom automobiles, and even the gateway to hell just outside the crumbled ruins of a haunted mansion. Uh, Many spine-chilling ghost stories emerge from the haunting of the Lee property, which is one of the most famous hauntings in America. There's also an abundance of local lore surrounding the infamous Highway 60, 666. This list is a collection of some of the most famous urban legends and ghost stories circulating throughout creepy Colorado. The Black Forest Haunting In 1990, Steve Lee moved his family into a log cabin home in the Black Forest regions of Northern Colorado. They rented it for a year before purchasing it, but once the land was theirs, things started getting weird. Initially, lights and electric devices kept turning off and on, and early noises sometimes filled the air. But things got worse when the children began seeing shadowy figures lurking in the woods. This was followed by a strange order that watched it through the cat through cabin throughout be throughout okay throughout the cabin that turned burned the family's throats and eyes. Um. Thinking it was pranksters, the Lee family 
installed motion detectors and cameras. However, the motion detectors would go off when nothing seemed to be happening on the camera. Eventually, the Lee property tied up 62 alleged break-ins. Though not a single one of them could be explained and nothing was missing, Steve Lee added more cameras capturing more unexplainable phenomenon like orbs, beams of light, and sometimes ghostly forms with faces. Lee's could no longer pretend the cameras were the problem and they, <coughs> and they contacted the television show Sightings to document what became one of the most famous hauntings in America. The science crew experienced and captured quite a bit of phenomenon themselves. Cameras were knocked off tripods, one of their pictures experienced an attempted possession, and the medium workings with them determined there were multiple spirits in the house and a rift in space-time on the property. Okay. The psychic also identified one of the spirits as someone that the Lees knew, son of a friend who everyone believed died of an overdose. His spirit allegedly told the medium that he was actually murdered. The Stanley Hotel inspired the shining. One of the most famous haunts of Colorado is the Stanley Hotel. The Stanley, which served as the basis for Stephen King's The Shining, is over a century old and is home to countless ghost sightings and unexplainable events. One of these ghosts is a former owner of the hotel, Lord Dunraven. Oh, your breath. It's hot in here. Okay. Multiple witnesses have seen a face peering out of the window of his room, room 407, which when it wasn't occupied. One of witnesses staying in the room reported that a light kept turning off and on. Allegedly, the ghosts and all the ghosts assured him that they'd only be staying two days and asked him to keep the lights on. The spirit left the light alone after that but proceeded to spend the rest of the night nosily playing around with the elevator just outside the door. Rooms 217, 401, and 418 have unusually high reports of paranormal activity. Cleaning crews tell of strange noises and seeing Impressions on the bed when the room was are, when the rooms are empty. Guests in room 418 report the sound sounds of children playing in the hall. When those reports come in, there are no children checked into the hotel. Creeper ghost kid. Okay, ghosts along the Riverdale Road. Riverdale Road runs through Thornton, Colorado, and is lined with creepy cottonwood trees where you can allegedly see the hanging bodies of slaves by the light of the full moon. A phantom Camaro with one working headlight can also be spotted driving down the stretch down this stretch of road. According to legend, there were a bad car accident in the semis where the driver died. He still speeds down Riverdale Road, looking to challenge late night travelers in a race to their death. Yo dude, what's up? Uh Riverdale Road also has its own lady in white legend. The story starts with a young woman wandering the streets alone at night. Looking for every for anyone willing to give her a ride, however, unlike most hitchhiker legends this, this young lady dis disappears before ever getting into the car, leaving the sun driver to sit in their own confusion. Another story warns drivers about a young boy who was killed by a car on his way to school. The spirit walks the Riverdale Road at night, smearing bloody handprints on street signs as he passes uh, the ghost of Joggers Hill. Further down Riverdale Road, you come to a dirt path at the crest of a hill known as Joggers Hill. The legend states, that a jogger suffered a hit and run when the driver raced off in a panic, where the rear driver raced off in a panic, leaving him or her to die alone. Now the jogger looks as a shadowy menace in the area, terror than any drivers who stop atop the hill. You're be a dick, man. Because one guy can fuck the asshole. You're gonna be missing everybody. Paranormal activity in the Hotel Colorado. The guests at the Hotel Colorado are often awoken at night by strange sounds and flickering lights. Some are plagued by signs of a little girl with a ball wearing a Victorian era dress. While others recount how the personal items, how their personal items 
were moved around or missing. Both bell towers suites are probably haunted, and the elevator seems to have a mind of its own at times. Stories tell of a female presence that has a habit of watching male guests at, as they sleep and uh, of an abundance of strange orders wafting throughout the hotel without any discernible source. The screams of a woman can often be heard throughout the hotel, believing to belong to a deceased chambermaid. According to the lore, she was involved in a love triangle which ended with one of their, her lovers murdering her in one of the guest rooms. Her former room has been turned into a storage because the paranormal activity within this room has too intense to remain open to the public. The gates of hell lead to a mansion on fire and death. According to local legends, the gates of hell lie near Riverdale Road in Thornton, Colorado. Rumor has it that this stretch of road leads to rusty iron gates that open to a place to a place of satanic worship and human sacrifices. Behind these gates also rest the charred ruins of an old mansion, a haunted tree, and a chicken coop that leads directly to hell. Okay, so chicken weird. Uh, a mansion. 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 The mansion was built by David Wolpert during the ground during the gold rush. He married and had children, two of whom were deaf and mute. Legend has it that he was provoked by demons to murder his entire family and burn the house to the ground. People say they can still hear the screams echoing throughout the night. One of the looming iron gates in Wolpert's chicken coop were left standing after the fire. They say that the eerie gates serve as a warning to stay away from the hellish madness surrounding the area. While the chicken coop is allegedly where demons commit Wolpert to commit the murders. Hold on a second. Beware, beware the drums of Third Bridge. The Third Bridge, also known as the Ghost Bridge, is located out in a prairie in the middle of nowhere and crosses over Kiowa Creek. The hauntings of this area began with a massacre of Native Americans. According to the legend, you can hear their drum beats, their drums beating from a distance, and the longer you stand on the bridge, the louder the drumming gets. Some even claim to have heard the pounding of hooves across the bridge at night. Driving along the Devil's Highway, Route 666. Infamous Route 666, nicknamed the Devil's Highway, runs through four states, one of which is Colorado. It was renumbered as Route 491 in 2003 in hopes of dispelling the fear surrounding demonic numbers. However, changing the numbers didn't take away the unexplainable phenomenon that occurred and is still occurring on this cursed road. Admittedly, the accident rate has significantly decreased since the remaining. When it was still known as Route 666, this stretch of highway had an unusually high accident rate. People driving along the Devil's Highway have reported creepy incidents, which is, such as a black phantom sedan that follows dangerously close no matter how high the speed. Many have pulled over only to realize there's no car behind them. There are also tales of a pack of hellhounds that terrorize innocent travelers. The beast somehow managed to keep up with their vehicle regardless of how fast or wickedly the driver maneuvers the car. Many believe these hellhounds are responsible for shredding tires causing terrible wrecks. Some have even claimed that the, the beasts are capable of jumping into the windows and mauling people. No. <clears throat> the Skinwalkers of the Four Corners Colorado is rich with legends of Native American culture, one of which is about the Skinwalkers. The Navajo have passed down stories of those able to chase it to different animals. Local lore describes a coyote with the eyes of a man that runs alongside cars, hidden hood while transforming into a man has the glowing yellow eyes of an animal. As terrifying and aggressive as that sounds, there are many who insist a skinwalker's appearance outside of a car should be taken as a warning to not continue down the road. If the traveler ignores that warning, an evil shaman will appear in the backseat of the car and cause an accident. 
the Ridge Home Asylum. The Ridge Home Asylum was operated from 1912 to 1991, serving the mentally disabled of all ages. Allegedly, the patients were kept drugged and some were severely beaten. One staff member was arrested for abusing patients and bragging about it to friends. Even during its operational years, the asylum was believed to be haunted. Patients and staff reported strange noises, apparitions, laughter, children running down the halls, and objects moving on their own. Yeah, it's that one. Okay. Also, the mental institutions closed its doors. Local youths considered breaking into the abandoned asylum a rite of passage. The rich home was certainly creepy enough when it closed. All the equipment, toys, and old furnishings were left behind. The building was demolished in 2004, replaced by a super target. It's <laughs> placed by target. Wow. Which is supposedly haunted by ghosts that you found on. Damn, a haunted target. That sucks. God. Okay. <laughs> if you want to submit your stories or keep updated on upcoming episodes, join the Monster Legends Podcast Facebook group or follow on Twitter at Monster Legends P. Also, if you want to use your email, you may send it to monsterlegendspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, hello. Uh, I'll take a little break. I just want to let you guys know that you can find the Monster Legends Podcast on several platforms, including Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Procast, and Radio Public. So if you, uh, not sure what you're to get, just getting a little, be great. Or not sure where to find it, that's where you can find them. Thank you. Okay, it's the next one. Shout out Uh, Beyond Twilight, Self-Proclaimed Vampires Lurk in Colorado by Amy Heckler. Heckle, uh, November 17, 2011. When Sapie Schultz needs to feed, she often goes to a nightclub. The church endeavor has a lot of energy, she says. She also likes the milk bar or tracks. You should feel the energy in the, there, she says, especially during 80s night. It's the strings and human emotions that attract her, not another vampires around Colorado. But Schultz is looking for ambient injury, not blood. Though she has consumed it with the permission of the donor, chalk that up as a misconception, number one, about real life vamps. She also won't attack you in the dark alley and suck you dry. Here's another, Schultz. This is not some delusional teenage hot topic shopper obsessed with Tylerite. She's 40, with a state job, graduate magna cum laude with a double major, has a passion for social justice, is as bad as a vampire since 1989, on forward to Colin to spark the most recent vampire hype. Schultz of Westminster doesn't plan on catching Breaking Dawn Part 1, the latest installment in the hot book and movie series. When it opens in theaters tonight, don't get her on. She finds HBO's True Blood and the BBC's Being Human amusing, just like any good fiction. She's not going because she doesn't like how Twilight portrays relationships, glamorizing a trolling man or a vampire, and an empty shell of a woman who has no desire to be anything other than someone else's accent piece. Okay, so back to the elephant in the room. Yes, Schultz says she is a vampire. So do at least three dozens other local residents thousands nationwide according to vampire research firm yes this exists to switch atio enterprises the colorado vampire association uh, the colorado vampire association has 33 members and colorado is home to two vampire groups house vamp vespertarian and house shibolis uh see denver.nightside.org colorado boasted three additional vampire houses dating back to the mid 90s but they are now either defunct or operating under new untracked name. Many more local vampires are thought to not yet be active or awakened, which is just a fancy word for well coming out of the coffin. Okay, I guess we get there. I get what you did there. 
Rapunz but no Solus is not about 300 years old or superhumanly fast and never wants to, 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 to use the word spider monkey she eats food and rather enjoys garlic she can go in the sun although many vampires are sensitive to intense energy making extreme strings in light temperatures and sound uncomfortable her heart beats she does not sparkle and she's not ice cold she's human and she says she was born this way sorry bell swan most of the vamps community th thinks you can't be turned vampire being a vampire doesn't make you any more special than being gay or lesbian or queer or engaging in skydiving or being a buddhist Salt says but it doesn't make you any less special either uh modern vampires don't think they're fictional characters with supernatural powers according to Merticus, his full name, the lead researcher of San Ciencio Enterprises and a founding member of the Atlanta Vampire Alliance. He has been a member of the vampire community since 1997. A real vampire is essentially an energy feeder or blood drinker. Merticus, 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 I don't know, uh, explains via email. He doesn't do phone calls or to protect his privacy. While the casualty integration and sometimes even the proper spelling of vampirism is debated. Vampires are generally individuals who cannot adequately sustain their own physical, mental, or spiritual well-being without the taking of blood or vital life force energy from other sources, often humans. Vampires break down into three categories, he explains. Psychic or Psy, 31%, Sanquinarian or Blood Feeders, 17%, and the hybrid of the two, 2%. He's referencing a survey in 2006 of more than 950 members of the vampire community. One local vampire, who, who kind of used his name after he was interviewed, explained the condition as an energy hole. After one or two weeks without absorbing energy from an outside source, your source becomes against to, to deplete. Local energy workers says they have heard of energy leaks as well as people who drain, drain energy, but don't call that vampirism. We don't end at our skin. There's an energy field. That we all function, says David Paskoff of Boulder. has been studying injury healing for 40 years and uses it as a form of body-centered psychotherapy. It sounds like a hubba hubba He sees the injury hole as a type of illness. And if you have an illness, you should get treatment instead of expecting other people to take care of it, he says. Adding that he has never worked with, with or met anyone who claims to be a vampire. <clears throat> if you got a tumor, you take care of the tumor, Paskoff says. If you got an injury hole, you take care of the injury hole. There's all kinds of energy healing that can support that if you choose to make a change. Plus, it questions the ethics of taking other people's energy and the safety of freely offering up yours, even if you feel like you have an excess. Sable Schultz put a lot of thoughts into the ethics of her lifestyle. She says she's practiced awareness and consent, although she does not judge vampires who believe in a more predatory or Dorian survival philosophy. It's a matter of respect for other people's beliefs and knowledge, Shelf says. And in that, she says, For you get all freaked out and squeamish, realizing that two people among us consume human blood. No, 64% of vamps are women. 66% don't consider themselves goths. Some even practice Christianity. Shelf emphasizes that the same vampires she knows they come to the relation real lightly. They have done a lot of internal searching, soul searching. They've reflected a great deal on this, she says. All I have attempted to take steps to examine if it's real. I tried to rule out everything they've wanted to. Charles considers herself a sort of energy healer, one who cleans up the unneeded energy residue, whether in a nightclub or for her partner. She believes a careful feeding that can not only refuel her, but also clear out energy blocks and hyperactivity that can lead to a lack of focus and anxiety. 
Some donors told her they feel exhilarated. Others fall asleep for a while. She says it with a chuckle. She's, uh, she, she knows there will be skeptics. She knows she can't prove it. But even if it's a part of her personality or in her head, she says that doesn't make it any less real or important to her. All of our processes and experiences are in our head, she says. Take someone with cystinesia, a condition, a condition where people can see sounds or take someone who's colorblind, that's how their mind processes reality, solves it. Even if it's just a mental thing, it still has an impact on my life, she says. But what matters, what really matters, is how I actually live my life. Whether I live as a person of integrity and honest. Okay. If you want to submit your stories or keep updated on upcoming episodes, join the Monster Legends Podcast Facebook group or follow on Twitter at Monster Legends P. Also, if you want to use your email, you, you may send it to monsterlegendspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. I'll, I'll take a little break. I'll go, I just want to let you guys know that you can find the Monster Legends Podcast on several platforms, including Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Procast, and Radio Public. So if you uh, not sure what you're going to get, just getting a little, be great. Or not sure where to find it. That's where you can find them. Thank you. This is from the Only in Your State. Called the Cre- this creepy tale of vampires in Colorado is sure to give you nightmare. By Annie, it was published January 19, 2008. Since Bram Stoker penned his iconic Dracula in 1897, the world has been fascinated with essentially living corpus corpses who live leave their graves in or dark castles at night in search of fresh blood. Like the rest of the world, Carlians have long been fascinated with this phenomenon as demonstrated as demonstrated by the creepy story of the Transylvania vampire. During the early 20th century, Transylvanian immigrant Theodore Fodor Glava worked as a coal miner in Colorado and like several others died during the 1918 flu epidemic. While the story of this ultimately death on time of death is tragic, there was much mystery surrounding Glava, as the tall, pale, and abnormally long fingernailed man was rumored to have actually been a vampire. It can be argued that this is argued that his ghastly appearance were merely caused by his line of work and illness, but the legend continued to gain traction of a wooden state of a wooden state that was lodged into Glava's heart after he passed, grew into a giant tree that still sits at the center of his grave. Coincidence? That's for you to decide. Uh, since there are very few pictures available of Glava or his grave, found the next best thing, which was that of a video collector. Yeah, well, sorry, person. Okay, here's a next thing. It's not really a monster, but it's interesting. It won't load. Uh, Denver, Denver, uh, Denver, October 28th. Denver Museum of Nature and Science Biologist David Stemmen discovered two new species of daddy, of daddy long legs inside Colorado Caves. Yeah, fucking Latin. Scala bonus money named after Simon, was found in a rocky cave on City of Boulder, open space, and mountain parks land. DNA studies show this species evolved for millions millions of years while slowly adapting to the underground environment. It is orange and yellow, and is very different looking from the daily legs most familiar to people. Simon identified as a second new species in the cave of the winds in Montiel Springs, living deep underground in total darkness. This species was named Scalabolus spiobentis, Drive from the Latin words for cave and wind, and lives in parts of the caves seldom visited by, by people. Although Cave of Winds has launched as a popular visitor desi- destination in the Pikes Peak region, it is not surprising that new discoveries of life 
are being made in sections of the cave, not open to the public, said Rick Reinhardt, author of the Cardinal Caves. Additional states of caves is critical to better understanding to better understand our world and the species that live in the place. Okay. So, so Steven's species was covered in this in Colorado. Okay. I can't finally find much on monsters in Colorado, like specific to Colorado, but uh, here's one, like the most famous one that like, came up all the time. It's called the Slide, slide Rock Bolter. And I'm reading from the Cryptid, Cryptid Wiki. Uh, slide Rock Bolter, Macrostoma saxiprimptus. It's a bizarre creature. Recounted, recounted by the Lubbergs of North America during the 19th and early 20th century. It is believed to live in the mountains of Colorado, but this beast, but this beast only lived in the mountains where the slopes was more than 45 degree angle. It has an immense head, small eyes, and large mouth. It has a fluked, fluked tail like a dolphin with enormous grab hooks. All day long, this creature will just wait for a tourist or helpless creature below it. At the right moment, it will lift its tail, thus loosening its hold on the mountain, and send rapidly down the slope with the beast's mouth wide, op mouth wide open. It will swallow all that got in its way. Whole parties of tourists are reported to have been gulped up in one scoop by taking the parties far back into the hills. Its body is also so large and strong that trees in its path are broken and destroyed. Its own protuberance carries its up next slope, where it be again slaps its tail over the ridge and waits. You son of a bitch. Like a ambush. That damn spider lives on the ground. Description and signs. In the mountains of Carl, where in the summer the woods are becoming infested with tourists, much uneasiness has been caused by the presence of the side rock bolter. This frightful animal lives only in the steepest mountains, mountain country where the slopes are greater than 45 degrees. It has an immense head with small eyes and a mouth somewhat on the order of a sculpin, running back beyond its ears. The tail consists of a divided flipper with enormous grab hooks which it fastens over the crest of the mountain or ridge, often remaining there motionless for days at a time, watching the gulch for tourists or any other hapless creature that may enter it. At the right moment, after sighting a tourist, it will lift its tail, thus losing its hold on the mountain, um, and with its small eyes riveted on the poor, unfortunate, and drooling, thin-skinned grease from the corners of its mouth, goddamn, which greatly accelerates its speed. The polter comes down like a toboggan, scooping its victims as it goes. It's only impetuous carrying it up the next slope, where again slaps its tail over the nut ridge and waits. Whole parties of the contourists. Why are you fucking repeating yourself, dude? Articles. Pails. The ambulance admits not only to tourists, but to woods as well. Many a draw through spruce covered slopes has been laid low. The tree has been knocked over by the roots or mowed off by a slice where the bolter was crushed down through the peaks above. A forest ranger whose distinct his district includes the rough country between Ulfer Peaks and the Lizard Head. Seeds the bold idea of destroying a slide rock bolter to its own destruction. A dummy tourist was rigged up with a plaid Norfolk jacket, knee breeches, and a guide book to Colorado. It was then filled full of giant powder and fumable fuminated caps and posted in a conspicuous place, where sure enough, next day attracted the attention of a bolter which had been hanging for days on the slope of Lizard Head. <clears throat> a drastic explosion flattened half the buildings in Rico, which were never rebuilt. The surrounding hill flattened rocks, flattened flocks of buzzards in the rest of the summer. Like a damn, run of the damn tremors, man. But they're like my mountains. The Silent Bolter circle from Wandering Whale Road. Uh, autumn is upon us, and so today we turn to the colorful forests of North America. 
first story of uh, Cetacean folklore, landlocked Colorado, is not the first place you think of when it comes to marine mammals. But in early 20th century, American lumberjacks told of all sorts of stories about fearsome critters. One of them was the Slidelock Bolter, a terrifying mountain whale. The tale of the Slidelock Bolter comes to us from William Thomas Cox, a state forester of Minnesota, who in 1910 published Fearsome Critters of the, of the Lumberwoods with a few desert and mountain beasts. In its collection of lumberjack tales from all over the United States, Cox detailed the various creature, creature, creatures uh, creature, that worked in the logging industry. Imagine late at night in their, stud, in their shanties. Slidelock the Slide Rock Bolter, Bolter story, is set in southwestern Colorado. Cox worked with forester Kuea Dubois, who drew the illustrations, and botanist George Bishop Stanworth, whose Latina taxonomical name for creature added to the worth works tongue and cheek imitation of a field guide, the Slidelock Bolter, Cox writes. Oh, still going. In the mountains of Colorado, where in the summer the woods are becoming infested with tourists. Right, read that. Like most creatures, the lumberjacks told stories about the Slidelock Bolter was probably conjured up late one night as part of a stolen town contest when seasoned campers competed to convince newcomers that fearsome critters lurked in the woods. Far away from the ocean where any real cetacean would swim, the form of a whale was likely chosen because of its great size and distinctive tail, which is the peculiar behavior of this particular cryptid. Cox's account goes on to describe how one Forest Ranger tricked the Slide Rock Bolter into attacking a dummy dressed as a tourist. The bait. A uh, Carl Guidebook and Norfolk jacket common to upperclassmen who would, who could afford to seek adventure in, his, in the exotic west. The dummy was stuffed with dynamite, however, and when the Bolter slid down lizard head for kill, the resulting explosion flattened half the buildings in Enrico, which were never rebuilt. Is this story's unusually precise geographic location, Enrico Carl that enables up to situate the Bolter in a wide Water context. Oh, okay, I need a blanket. An investigation into this comic history of Rico reveals the Slalic Bolter to be a snapshot of the tensions that came at the time of great change in southwestern Colorado. The buildings of Rico were not flattened in an explosion attempt to thwart a monstrous whale, but fell into disrepair following a dramatic economic shift that happened in the town shortly, uh, shortly before the story of the Bolter was recorded. After gold was discovered in the region, American miners started moving in illegally to what has been confirmed as Ute territory by Treaty of 1868. Ute people spent several years trying to protect their lands from invasion by gold-hungry prospectors, but their representative Outray and his wife, Chipita, sorry, ah, were manipulated into seceding 3.7 million acres of land by Felix Brunot, chairman of the Board of Indian Commissioners, who never followed through on his promise to return Outray's captive son in exchange for the American right minus Sun Guan Mountains. Once the Brunhut Agreement was signed, American mining operations began in earnest. Riku was one of the towns that popped up and boomed in the 1880s, reaching a population of 5,000 in 1892. The very next year, however, Riku's fortunes turned when a silver panic hit the town. As the, practice, as the prices of silver plummeted, most businesses closed, and by the end of the century, the population has dropped to 811. Rio's Pro, um, pros, uh, prosperity. Uh, Real's prosperity was gone as quickly as it had come. Where the mining declined, another industry immediately eclipsed it: lumber. American violation of the Brunot Agreement broke violation, violent retaliation, which led to the expulsion of the Ute people into Utah in 1881. This left their heavily forested homeland open for exploitation. 
Forest of Southwestern Colorado were failed at first to support the mining industry, but by the time the mines were abandoned, the demand for timber for railroads were high enough that logging remained profitable. The New Mexico Logging Company acquired the cutting rights for the prized western yellow pine by grew in Rico and proceeded to raise the land. The lumberjacks who worked here must have seen the stripes of rumble on the mountainside that marked the spots of abandoned mines and connected them to Rico's dilapidated buildings, coming up with the story of the Silock Bolter displaying the ruination of both landscape and town. But like the mining before it, logging in southwestern, southwestern Colorado suffered a bust as big as its boom. Deforestation was the main culprit. In 1914, the New Mexico Logging Company recorded further south because in one decade they had exhausted the timber supply that had supported youths for hundreds of years. In light of the shocking rate of deforestation, nascent American conservation movement sought to restrict logging in Colorado. So it's perhaps no surprise that the lumberjacks slide Rockwalter targeted well-to-do East Coast tourists. Lumberjacks of 1910 must have been eco-tourists and their conversational agenda as a real threat to their livelihood rather than environmental havoc. They themselves were wrecking. Although the story of the Sidelock Bolter was playful, it hints at the tension between lumberjacks and conversationalists. Conservations. Yeah. Caught between the deaths of mining and the rise of national parks. The story recorded in Bearsome Critters of Lumberwoods captures the fleeting moment of logging supremacy in the history of southwestern Colorado. In fact, it was the transience that prompted Cox to record stories. The lumberjack lumber regions are contracting stretches of forests that once seemed boundless and are all but gone. In many, a stream is quiet and one them once ran full of logs and echoed the song of the river driver. Some say that the old type of logger himself is becoming extinct. It is my purpose in this little book to preserve Lace a description and sketch some of the interesting animals which he has origin which he has originated. <laughs> Lumberjack embedded Lumberjack abandoned the lockside boulder in response to the visible evidence of environmental damage left by the mining industry, unknowingly contributing to the devastation with their own activities. In a few decades, following the treaty, breaking expulsion of the Ute, who lived sustainably in southwestern Colorado for hundreds of years, the mining and lumber industries managed to bleed the land dry. The man Eating mountain whale of lizard head was born in co of Carl's complicated settlement history and served as a reminder of how quickly human greed can transform a landscape. A separate thing. All right. Thank you. To, thank you for listening to this episode of the Monsters Podcast, Monster Legends of Colorado. Have a great week and be legendary. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. You also can email me with questions that will be answered on the show. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.